welcome back to another and perhaps the last definitely the last uwc episode of the year <laughs> um it's been it's been a weird year because when you, when you think of this year it's been separated into so much so you have last seasons then you had the final turn then you had the summer of the euros and then you had to start this season so when i recap on the year i forget that all of that stuff happened like at the beginning of the year and it's quite momentous it's been busy it has been busy remember when we were in Camp Nou oh like that that literally feels like it could be like five years ago like I would I could probably mistakenly say that was last year yeah yeah easily no it's been a mad one It, it has been mad I'm starting yet it's it's been an interesting one um there's obviously been a lot to, to talk about last day of the group stage I think wasn't as exciting as it could have been perhaps it was a strange really strange last day I think yeah I feel like there wasn't much to play for for a lot of teams and the teams who did have something to play for namely Juventus and PSG kind of fucked up Juventus yeah. more than PSG because like PSG I kind of understand they were already through mm. but Juventus that was frustrating yeah. we'll, we'll get into the Juventus <laughs> one um, that was really frustrating especially I know it sounds stupid to say but now I do really feel bad because of that stupid goal that was allowed um, against Leon versus Arsenal and again if that goal wouldn't, wasn't scored I'm sure another goal would have been scored either way but you never know but that obviously messed up um, Juventus's way against Leon because obviously if that would have been a draw then either side needed a win and Leon needed would have needed to kind of step the, the game up and I think Juventus probably could have exploited um if Leon would have been on the attack. But shall we just start with that since we're already we're already halfway through the conversation. So Go we might for as well it. just keep going. It probably is the most interesting game of all the games that took place. Definitely. I mean when you look at the score lines that's the one with I mean, with no goals, obviously, but kind of most to talk about in terms of um, what could have happened and what should have happened maybe for Juventus. What was your take on it overall? Yeah, I think there were a couple of things. I was kind of surprised at how Lyon set up. I mm. thought it was like quite a negative approach, but also they did only need a draw. Um, and I guess maybe we've seen that Juventus's real threat is with that counter-attack, that fast counter-attack that you get with Berenstein. And and you saw that even in the game, right? Like, that's where everything was kind of coming from. But I think I was also a bit disappointed in Juventus as the game went on because I kind of get, like, in the first half, you're maybe focusing on, like, not wanting to concede. But, you know, when you get to 60, 70 minutes, drawing nil-nil is the same as losing in this scenario right you may as well go for it and lose two nil and I just felt like and I guess it's interesting maybe we've seen this a lot with Joe Montemiro teams in the past they don't necessarily have that ability to finish take take the handbrake off but like just like go like go to another level it's it's such a controlled way of playing a lot of the time that if you can't naturally create chances it's almost like you can't force the issue. Whereas you can see teams like 
Barcelona or Chelsea even like will just be able to pile on pressure and pressure and pressure, even if it's in really like stupid ways. Like whether it's like putting Millie Bright up front, like just doing something because it's like they will take the chaos to win. Yeah. You meant to like very sophisticated. Yeah, no. They had they had about three, four chances at the end of the game that could have easily been the winner, especially it, it was one second before the final whistle. I'm pretty sure it was Bonfantini. I think she shot, but the shot was, it was shite. And I think it was, was it Bernstein who didn't read the play exactly? And if she would have just started her run just a second earlier, if she would have just put a foot in. Honestly, I think she should have just thrown herself. It sounds <laughs> stupid. It's a, it's that stupid argument where everyone's just like, just put a foot in and you'll be fine. But I that was very frustrating because it was literally right there. Mm. The ball was fumbled. It was it could have been easily that it was right next to the goal. Um, that Gidelli back heel flick. If that would have gone in, it would have been the greatest goal ever. <laughs> but I don't know why she did that in that moment. Yeah, she was she was quite far off the first post. Um, so the chances of that going in were were quite low. Um, but yeah, Juventus just. I mean, they were getting they were getting the attack quite well. They just didn't have any finishing. But I think also, like, the way they play is it felt like when they were attacking, at least earlier in the game as well, they were putting so much effort on, like, a couple of players to, say, run from the halfway line as a counterattack. And so it was that kind of thing where it's like, by the time they get to the penalty area, it's almost like they're too tired to think straight. Mm. Yeah, that's what it just... That last pass was was just missing. Mm. Um, I thought Girelli had a lot of energy against Leon. Um, that did well, but Pasha should have had a yellow card. Mm. There was a few nasty tackles, and the ref was just letting it go. And I think Pasha should have been um calmed down just a little bit, hopefully with the yellow card. I don't know. Yeah, with her like in Bernstein. Um, Bernstein was getting was, kicked. There was that one nasty tackle on Bernstein. She was down for a little bit. I think she was like out of it briefly. Senma Basha again, being the Senma Basha that she is. You either love it or you hate, or you hate it. Um, but yeah, obviously Leon Drew, no, no, I probably should have said that at the beginning of the conversation. Um, Juventus needed the win and obviously did not get that, even though they definitely had the chances to. I'm just going to look at the stats. And yeah, so Juventus finished with 11 shots, Leon 12, quite even. Um, Leon had five shots on target, Juventus four. So the game could have gone either way. I think a draw, I guess when you look at the stats, a draw is kind of the, what you expect because Leon are always going to have clear chances and the chances of them burying that are quite high and even though they didn't. Um, but even pass accuracy, 75 to 78, 51% possession for Leon. So it was quite even match. It was just Juventus lacking that little extra quality that we know that they're lacking when you put them against the big teams. Um, but Arsenal... I was just going to say quickly on Le- on the Leon sure. thing. I think what's interesting, and we've said that the Leon that whoever gets them faces in March will be a very different Leon, we think, from the one that's playing now. But I feel yeah. like this was a real opportunity for them to kind of put the results that they've had at the start of the season aside, the mm-hmm. Arsenal game, the loss to PSG in the league, and, you know, to finish the group stage with kind of back-to-back wings over Arsenal and Juventus even if they like were just getting them over the line 
and it would have made people start thinking like okay this is still Leon and I thought it was quite weird that and I guess maybe because there was so much on the line they just didn't want to risk it but I thought it was kind of telling that it felt like they couldn't really they couldn't either produce a performance that really took control of the game like you've just said with all the stats yeah Sonia Bompasport was was freaking out at the end as well. That's yeah, well, because anything can happen, right? Yeah. Like if you've left it in a position where you only need to concede like one scrambled in goal from a corner or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I just think that that's interesting. Like who knows what they'll look like in March, but it feels like that team is just super, super low on confidence right now. Oh yeah, definitely. I think they have... They need to be because they haven't done anything uh, <laughs> <laughs> that merits any confidence whatsoever. Um, confidence though, Arsenal nine one against Zurich. Um, an interest. I did. I definitely didn't expect the score considering how the first match went, and that was at home at the Emirates, and you would expect more or less a similar game away in Zurich on a three G pitch in the cold weather in very unfamiliar territory. But obviously, Freedom Adam Hattrick, Caitlin Ford Brace, and Stina Blackstenius Brace. <laughs> Jesse, you want to... We'll, we'll go into the Leah Williamson at midfield later on. We'll leave that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like the... Not to this Arsenal, but a bit of the theme of this final match day was that teams who were already out seem to really just give up. You kind of still think, like, if you're Zurich, like, don't you want to try and get a result against Arsenal? But this was really, really bad. And I guess to kind of sum it up is normally when teams score loads of goals, their XG isn't necessarily super high. Like, I think when Chelsea beat Blatznia 8-0, it's like the XG was still, like, 4. Whereas Arsenal's XG here was, like, 7.2, which just tells you, like, the quality of chances. Obviously, part of that's penalty, but the quality of chances they were able to get. And that's even when you're ignoring the fact that, like, Frieda Marnham's first goal is, like, a really nice free kick. That's not a high... You know, it just sums up, like, how open they they were for Arsenal. But, you know, everyone loves to go and score nine goals. Like, it will be a great confidence boost for for players. And, you know, we were kind of talking about it last night, but just that playing Frieda Marnham as a 10, I just think it makes so much difference for this team. And I know pre-ACL, Viv was like back in good form, she had a break, but I just think... It was never up to the level of Frieda Marnham. It's it's almost like an energy thing. Like, it's not a quality thing, obviously, because Viv is quality, but I still feel like Viv as a 10, it's still about waiting for her to do something special. And in those games, it was like, she scored a great goal, like... from that kind of area which is great but it feels like when Frida Marnham is playing there it's like she just destroys defences and it opens up the space for players like Ford for players like Blacksenius yeah no I definitely agree it's I mean we've talked about the energy that Arsenal lack anyway um on the wing down there we want that explosive player and Frida Marnham seems to be the one that gives that to the most like energy levels at at the top I mean we know that Frida Marnham was always the better tenor to that was that was that's always been obvious. Um, and when Viv was still there, um, we're we're gonna mourn Viv's ACL for just two seconds. R.I.P. R.I.P. Viv's ACL. 
when Viv was still fit, I I never thought that Frida should have been on the bench for Viv. I think Viv should have easily gone up to the nine, Frida as a ten, and that would have been a whole different ball game. Um, but obviously, Jonas won't really have that problem anymore. <laughs> um, so it seems like although he might be finding extra tens, so maybe he will create that problem for himself, but. That's maybe a different conversation. I, I, yeah, that is a whole other conversation because we're going to talk about Lee Williamson in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Mano, I'm so happy that Mano's... Did she, she scored when she came on, didn't she? Yeah. 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 Um, I'm very happy that Mano scored when she when she came on to end the year like that. But you have fucking Mano Ibuchi, Jordan Alves on the bench and you put Leah Williams in the woodfield. Grant... Serena Wigman does it as a double pivot with Kira Walsh, it's grand. But when you look at Leah Williamson and Leah Valti playing as a double pivot, it does not work. Well, and also Wigman decided it didn't work really for England too, yeah. right? And it never happened again. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, I think if you look at Wigman and the way she selects her England squad, she still sees Leah Williamson as a backup midfielder, which yeah. is fair because I think she can do it. But that's because England have a real dearth of interesting midfielders. Which I would say, argue, is might be Arsenal's position of greatest depth. It's just yes. Jonas hates them all. And I don't know why. Because Jordan always performs when she comes on for Arsenal. Mana is Mana. And I think Mana is going to play better with Freedom Adam. Jordan and Mana have a very similar kind of eight style of play in the sense that they're a calming presence, but they're still playmaking presence unlike Leo Valti who's more of a calming presence even though we've said it that Leo Valti has started to to play make a lot more um but Leo Valti is the calming presence at the back to give you that security Jordan and Mana would be that little energy spark to start the attack and create that creativity and freedom Mana was just chaos um and all the best sense possible but I think that's needed now especially if we're going to be what Stina Blackstein says a nine <laughs> you don't need Leah Williamson in the midfield because she does not provide what you need to support the attack that you have now. Yeah, I mean, obviously it looks like Arsenal have done the Victoria Pulova signing, although it's not been announced. And Dabinia has said she's leaving the North Carolina Courage and she's also been heavily linked to Arsenal. That's a weird one. Do you think... I Listen, everyone on this podcast knows we love Victoria Pulova, so... Like, don't get me started on how annoyed that she I am that she get to Arsenal. Um, First thing I did was text Jesse. <laughs> I don't hate it as a move. I just don't. I just you don't. don't... Know, we don't know what she's going to be like. That's what, like, yeah. That's why I wanted to ask you, like, what, like, do you think those players? What do you think those players add, like, for Arsenal in January if they both play for the next six months for Arsenal? Victoria Pulova is not a necessary signing for Arsenal because we have Jordan Abzamano Budgie and now we have Kim Littleback. Mm. So essentially, you have, if we're leaving Leah Valti as a six and Frida Manam as a 10, you essentially have three other players already in the squad fighting for that same spot. And now you're going to add one more. Essentially. Yeah. So it, it, just, it doesn't make any sense. Unless, I mean, to be honest, when... Manu Mabuchi has played on the wing. I actually quite like it. And he's used Jordan on the wing as well, hasn't he? Yeah, and I quite like it, but I don't think... I think... How do I say this without sounding like an absolute bitch towards Jonas? (laughs) 
I think Jordan and Mana on the wing is a it's more how do I say it? I I'm trying to find the words without sounding like an absolute bitch to be honest it's just much more intelligent football mm. when you have Man and Jordan on the wing because that needs the support of the midfield and the striker because when Jordan and Man play on the wing you're obviously going to switch between the 10 and the wing and that's when it works um, when Jordan was there I think it was with Beth that they were switching or something mm. like that and it was working because of that connection and creating the space and switching positions but obviously that needs a lot of work if it's actually going to be fluid movement between them and I just don't think that Jonas is going to take the time to actually progress that uh, what will be interesting is you know both Pelova and Dabinia can play out wide but I don't think either of them are best out no, wide. Especially, like, and are, are they going to be better than Caitlin Ford and Katie McGabe right now? Yeah, but I guess, like, and that's what I feel like Arsenal just have this set of players who all want to play centrally because I th- I always think of Caitlin Ford as being a player who likes to come in. Katie McCabe, because she gets played on the right, likes to come in. I... Mm. Then you've that, got that's a whole other thing. <laughs> then you've got Mana and Jordan. I mean, maybe Mana will go in January. Hopefully, free Mana. They're both midfielders. If you're adding Pelover and Davinia, they're also midfielders. I like, and equally, I still think Arsenal's problem. This game aside, because obviously they scored nine goals, but will be goal scoring, and Pelover is not you know, a massive goal scorer. Dabinia had an amazing season last year, but it, like just looking at the data, she scored 12 goals in the NWSL last season, but that was the first time she'd ever gone over 10 in the league. So She's also an older player, which is the complete opposite of what we've always said that we want for Arsenal. Yeah. I mean, maybe he, he's just confident on old Brazilians because of Rafa like we were skeptical on that and it's worked right so yeah but center back it's different being being old in the center back position is is quite different than being and especially when you already have Leo Valti and Kimball and Jordan mm. Maps as mm. the experienced veterans yeah I mean I think it will be an interesting January for Arsenal I'm not convinced either of look and I was talking to my brother about this last night like if they go and then sign a winger, none of this matters because then you've just signed two quality players. But I think until they sign a winger as well, I'm like, I don't think Arsenal's problem is creativity within midfield. No. It's that it's the, that's because it's the only option for them right now. It's easier for other teams to close that down. Yeah, no, it's, I agreed. I think we don't need midfielders. And that's what Jonas is going for. But again, Jonas has been quite questionable the last um few weeks, I would say month, in terms of substitutions and now signings and everything. It's mm. been um quite confusing. But shall we move on to the next group? Um Barcelona closed out the year at Camp No 6-0 against Rosengards. Um safe to say that Rosengard were just awful. 
add that to a team that gave up because they were already bottom of the group. Yeah, uh, zero points for Rosengard in the entire group stage. Um, Asisia Oswalo, though, two goals. Um, another Stina Blackstinius curse broken. I know. Everyone, every out-of-form striker got to fill their boots. We had Sam scoring. We had Stina scoring. Oshuala scoring. Yeah, yeah. Look, this was this was a, <laughs> was a round the rise of, of the dead. <laughs> yeah, a round of pictures, a little Christmas present for every striker worried about their form going into the new year. Um, yeah, safe to say, I think Barcelona needed that confidence, and obviously, it was quite nice that they got a clean sheet as well. Thirty shots, hundred goal, seventeen on target, six <laughs> goals. <crazy>. Uh, <laughs> 75% possession. I mean, I mean, we all knew they were unhappy after that Benfica game. I think they had every right to because they played that defensive play was just bad. Um, and the way Mappy talked about it, she was like, we conceded two, but we conceded two penalties. So it could have easily been much worse than what it actually was. And that's fair to say we, I mean, we said it last time, maybe piss a few people off that uh, Barcelona still aren't convincing. Um, Jonathan Kiraldes came out and said it again. They've not been up to standard, and there's a lot of room for improvement. Mariona as well. Um, I am. I have to say that I'm really happy to see Mariona back, and playing well. Yeah, there's a lot of players, obviously, like who have been out for Barcelona, who've been kind of coming back in. There's been, you know, players coming into the squad, Lucy Bronze, Kira Walsh, etc., who we think, uh, you know, in the second half of the season will be important players for Barcelona who've obviously mm. been getting used to it you know I think the point is is like Barcelona have set very high standards for themselves over the past two seasons the reason why you say you know we would say like they, they've not been convincing is because we've watched Barcelona for the past two seasons and they've not played as well this season as they had before it's yeah. you know they still scored it's, it's to their own standard yeah exactly they still scored 10 more goals than anyone else in the group stage like yeah we know they don't have problems with steamrolling teams, but we also saw at the end of the Champions League season last year that if, for whatever reason, it doesn't go well, they can wobble. And I think that's been the concern, right, in this group stage is, yeah. you know, do they have the control that maybe they had in the 2020-21 season that's going to allow them to, you know get through the semi-finals and finals this year and I think right now like not like I wouldn't put no. my house on it <laughs> and and that's the thing it, it's comforting when the players say the same thing that you think um especially when we're so stupid on this podcast no, I'm kidding <laughs> I'll, I'll give us more credit but no it is the players have said it and it is I mean you have to look at it and it's again you don't compare Barcelona to any other team you, you compare them to their own standards and when you look at their standard from when they won the Champions League, even last season when they won the league, looking outside of the Champions League in the league matches, they're not they're still not playing to that standard. We saw it against Real Sociedad. They went behind um, quite easily and obviously made the comeback, but it was a struggle. But I do have to say, I do want to mention two things. Ingrid Engen is, I think, finally comfortable playing for Barcelona. And you notice it a lot more. I don't know if you've noticed kind of that little click, but she just, everything, the thing that we've always said about Ingrid Engen is that it always looks like she's processing so much in her head when she plays. Mm. And I think now she's doing a lot more automatically. 
and she's giving that presence um quite nicely so when Battery or Akira Wash don't play and Ingrid plays there's no complaint it, it's up to the same standard now and I think that's really big for Barcelona because you can start resting Battery and Kira because towards the end of the season that's what happened it was just fatigue that took over mentally physical fatigue and now you have a decent rotation in that pivot role because Badly last year was absolutely smashed at the, come the end of the season. Mm. Um, so I think Ingrid Engen is quite big. And she offers um, something different, right, as well. Yeah. And that matters too. Like she's yeah. a different kind of player. You can use her in different kind of games where maybe you feel that you need someone who's going to be potentially less creative but more robust. And, and it's Jonathan important is, for teams to have that player. And Jonathan is smart enough to be able to use that to his advantage. I do want to I do want to mention the renovation of Yana Fernandez because mm-hmm. I think that is quite big considering the defensive um skeleton that Barcelona have right now. I think having her back she came back to team training uh, right before the Camp Nou match. Obviously renewed until 2025 now. Um but do you, here here's the key question let's see if you can answer this. <laughs> is she Irene Paredes replacement? Yeah, I mean, she's a player who I feel like I've still not fully got my head around. I understand why there's a lot of hype and excitement about her. And, you know, she also fits the kind of Barca bill for a player to be very excited. You know, like childhood cooler, like all of that mm. kind of stuff. Like it it works. Um, I feel like she's still quite raw. But also, I think Barcelona, because they are so good at controlling games, good at going forward, they offer younger players a lot of opportunity to come into the team in quite low-pressure environments. Mm. And I think that's why you've seen players like Vicky Lopez and Salma Paroelu look so good, even though they're young coming they're in. Not, and they're not up to the standard yet. Yeah, um, because I think generally, like Barcelona are good at, at having that low pressure environment. Whereas mm-hmm. I think maybe for in other teams, you you need all your players like to be at playing well. Um, and I think Barcelona have so many players who can lift other players through. Um, so I think that will allow you know Jana to get game time, but. I don't know. It will be interesting. That Barcelona defence is a funny one because long-term, it's just like... That's that's the thing. It's long-term, it doesn't make sense because you have Marta Torocon, Irene Paredes, Lucy Bronze, Mapi. I mean, you, you can take Mapi out of that and it's still, you know, out of the young group. So Lucy, Marta, Irene Paredes are essentially not long-term And even Sandra Panos as well, right? Exactly. And Gemma Fon is getting a lot more playing time. Um, and she's getting that confidence, which is quite nice. But even Fido Rodolfo, she's not the fullback. And the reason why Fido plays her is because Nuria isn't up to the confidence level that you need in certain matches. Um, so that defense is, I mean, we've said it before, and I think it's going to continue is that that's going to be the biggest downfall for Barcelona. But at the same time, again, it's up to their own standard. I mean, anyone will have Irene Paredes, Mapidona as a certain back, so Fido Rodolfo as a fullback. I don't think many teams are going to say no to that. But it is, again, it's it's not even worth throwing it forward to the quarterfinals because so much can change until then. Yeah. Um, so we're going to... Byron just had a simplistic 
2-0 win over Benfica. Shout out to the Georgia Samway pass. Yes. That was gorgeous. That was She's really, really, was really thriving. Good. I feel like Caroline Weir took all the I'm thriving headlines at the start of the season. Yes. And has now kind of faded away. And it feels like George Stanway is just like thriving. She's really in this Bayern team. Yeah. Right? No, she's I mean, she's not she's been a good thing to start. Um, I think I mean Casweer as well, but then Georgia Stanway is just the one that's been able to be consistent with it. And now um, she's adding like the goals and assists. Whereas I feel yeah. like at the start she was kind of not making up numbers, but it just feels like ever since that she the, was there for chaos. But ever since the reverse Benfica fixture where she got like those two goals to turn the game around, it just feels like her confidence skyrocketed from there. And now she's really like orchestrating that midfield. The only time that I've well, I mean, again, the matches that I've seen from Bayern haven't been much, but the only time that I've seen her quiet was against Barcelona mm. at Camp Nou. Which is fair because yeah. that happens to lots of players. <laughs> yes. No, but it's um I do also shout out to Clara Boul who got the brace in this game. Um I think she's having a great season so far. Yeah. And she's uh yeah, that's all I have to say. I mean, when you look at the goals, they were good goals. They were they were finishing, they were the clinical finishes that you need from your striker, and I think I mean, she had a good Euros overall, um, and I think that confidence level, she's carried that through the league, and she's obviously just living her best life. And to have a player like Georgia Stanway assist you, I think is fine. Um, I think and Bayern we all Munich, know that they're just a good vibes team right now, like yeah. when they're all making pasta together and stuff. And it's it's you know a, I, mean? I think I think Bayern Munich are being slept on by the general outside population because obviously you look at Wolfsburg, they have the better individual squads. And then Bayern versus Barcelona, Grand, they beat Barcelona. But I also don't know if many people are actually paying attention to this group. Mm. If that makes sense. I think all the focus was Chelsea, PSG, Real Madrid, Leon, Juventus, Arsenal. Whereas like, you would probably choose to watch Leon, Arsenal rather than Barcelona, Bayern, Munich. Yeah, I think everyone knew this group, like, it was fairly obvious who was going to come first and second, which obviously, which is a shame because Benfica actually made it, like, loads of fun. Um, But yeah, I do think it's interesting with Bayern as well, like, just looking at the Frauen Bundesliga, they're obviously five points behind Wolfsburg, and it will be interesting to see whether they maybe say, okay, the league's kind of a bit out of our hands now. Maybe we do just, like, prioritise and focus on that Champions mm. League run. I don't know if they will. Like, look, they've drawn with Eintracht Frankfurt and lost to Wolfsburg. It's hardly... it's hard. That's hardly bad. Yeah, exactly. But that will be, I think, interesting to see. Because, like like you said, I do think they, they're getting better. They've got better as the group stage has gone on. They've shown they can beat the best because they beat Barcelona. And good vibes. They're good vibes. They're a young team. Like those players are only going to be looking better and more confident come March. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I think we should potentially pay attention to Bayern Munich just a bit more because I think they're one of the few teams that from now to March can be consistent and can only grow. Whereas we, we've kind of pointed out a few problems with the rest of the teams, whereas Bayern Munich have that solid foundation that can just continue to grow without any tweak. Um, 
But next group, Wolfsburg topped the group, Roma second, Roma qualifying for the quarterfinals in their debut UWCL campaign. Very impressive. I think predictable, considering how they've been in the league. Obviously, they're they're doing really well in the league. Um, they did lose against Juventus 2-4. But at the moment, looking at the Serie A table, that's when I put Serie A, the men came up. Um, <laughs> rookie mistake there, Alex. So at the moment, they are still top of the, the league, three points ahead of Juventus. So not entirely shocking when you look at the group that they're in. For them to get that second place spot, I think it was quite um standard. Of course, it would have been a bit different if they would have been in a Chelsea PSG Real Madrid's kind of group. Um, but this one against St. Paulton and, and Slavia Praha, I think it was quite straightforward. But Wolfsburg looking at Wolfsburg, Jesse, convincing, or was it just kind of a mentality game in this group stage with the opposition that they had? Yeah, again, I think I mean I think Wolfsburg had goals to get out their system, obviously, after that like strange draw where they just had a million chances to score and didn't. But I think, again, this was a team that just kind of collapsed. You know, like they kept it at 1-0 for most of the first half. And then it just felt like when the goals started to come, like it was just like goal, goal, goal. There were lots of players coming on for Wolfsburg, maybe wanting that like opportunity to impress before the Christmas break as well. Mm. Like, I've been really intrigued to see Paulina Bremer, who's mm. obviously someone who, when she was at the WSL, I think still has, like, one of the best goals per 90, like, numbers of all time in the WSL because she absolutely killed it at City and then it didn't work out. She got an injury, she went back to Wolfsburg. I don't think she's ever going to come in and start ahead of Eva Payor, but seeing her come, come, off back, the bench. come off the bench, start getting back in the goals, I think is exciting for a player who I've always thought is very good but has just like not had the best run of it with maybe her transfers and and injuries and stuff like that so that's really cool to see I think for uh, for them um Tabea Vasmuth hitting back at her 80th in the Guardian top 100 list with a goal as well (laughs) we're not gonna that's the only time we're gonna mention that on this podcast no other discourse there (laughs) Yeah, I think like this group, we've obviously known for a while, I think, who was going to come first and second. I will say I thought Slavia Prague and Simpleton were disappointing. And I think it's easy to say, like, I think we did. Lots of people backed Roma to go through as like the better team, but it's credit to Roma and discredits the other teams how easy it was for them. Like this was never really in doubt after the first couple of game weeks. Um which I think also tells you the level that Roma are at. But yeah, I thought it was disappointing from, from the other teams. But this group was was always clear cut and it's kind of hard to judge. I judge Wolfsburg a lot more on their performances in the Frauen Bundesliga, which have been very impressive, than I would from this Champions League group. Because Yeah, it was it was I mean it was hard to come motivated when and again, not in a disrespectful way, but when you almost know that you're going to qualify mm. it's a different mental game that you're going to come into it but I do want to I just want to Wolfsburg attack I just that's it's just stupid it, it just my head still hurts thinking about it and I've been in since the beginning of the season and it just makes no sense 
But again, Wolfsburg have arguably the best squad in the Champions League and they're not performing as potentially they could. So again, come March, maybe we could see it a bit better. But last group, we'll talk about Chelsea PSG last um, because that's a quick wrap up. Quick wrap up. <laughs> Real Madrid came out with a bang, I guess you could say. A 5-1 win over Viasna, even though they went down one day. Viasna scored! In the fifth, in the I love minute. that. It was a great yeah. free kick. Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, Caroline Weir scored again. Rise from the dead. <laughs> as we keep saying. Um, Teresa Avellera scored two. One from penalty. But obviously, I think for Real Madrid, it says a lot when your um, pivot is scoring two. <laughs> Um, obviously, the biggest headline from Real Madrid is uh, Atenea del Castillo being injured, even though the club hasn't hasn't communicated, but she's been seen in a boot. So I don't know really? how, I don't know how bad that is. Obviously, I was in the hotel with Real Madrid players the next morning after the PSG match. Yeah, you you said she was still moaning. She was it. she was limping in she a was... dismissive way, but she's <laughs> yeah. actually injured. Yeah, no, she was. I mean, she was limping limping quite heavily. Um, it like she couldn't entirely put weight on her foot. She was walking without crutches, without anything the morning after. But she she wasn't putting weight on her foot basically. Um, so she was walking around like looking very stupid, which is quite funny to me. Um, but yeah, she had been pictured in a boot, even though the club haven't really communicated anything because Roman did our all thought communication. Um, but it's fine because. It's Christmas break and everything is fine. Everything resets from zero come Christmas break. But Liga IFA doesn't start until January 8th. So I think that's good for them. But they're out of the Champions League. Yeah. Dumped out by PSG. Um, I think that's all we have to say about that's Roma, basically to be honest. Up. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, Roma just weren't up to standard at all in the group stage. They did not perform the way they were expected but at the same time they've had the same struggle in the league so it's not just Champions League mentality kind of thing Mm. and they haven't been great convincing in the league either but Chelsea 3 PSG nil what what do we okay Sam Kergel she did into the backflip from that little girl and I'm very sad I know I know but she did say to that little girl she was like I might yeah forget. but that was just a shit excuse <laughs> that was such a comment to it Sam but I'm also like it's quite extra to ask for the backflip like just for one goal I was like maybe she's just not confident she'll score because she hasn't scored recently um I thought she had a fantastic game she like game. the goal is obviously amazing R.I.P. Yeah. My gal, Elise Almeida. Like <laughs> it was bad for for it, yeah. Um, um someone okay. called her to me baguette Ashley Neville, which made me laugh so much. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> um I, but yeah, um... obviously like Sam just kind of cuts in gets the ball off Kochawi. And like, you don't like see Sam control. scoring those goals so often. No, and she like absolutely smashes it. That's it felt so Sam Kerr because we've obviously, you know, everyone's been talking about like she's not been scoring as much a season. Like her confidence seems really low. I'm like a player. This is a player who, even when her confidence is low, she still like backs mm. herself to do that. I wouldn't say her confidence is low. She just hasn't been scoring. I think that. No, was... I know, but I think yeah. you start to read yeah, that narrative you associate into it. That yeah, definitely. 
But like some of the little like she did like a little back heel nutmeg at one point, like to get the ball into the box, which was like so saucy. And mm. she dropped deeper a lot in this game. Yeah, she did. And I wondered if just getting those well, I think two things. I think Chelsea obviously realized that PSG were gonna kind of sit in this low block and that if they wanted to win the ball, they needed to come up create overload so I think obviously Sam dropping helped do that in midfield that's when she picks up the the ball for the goal Chelsea pushed Erin Cuthbert out super wide to try and create like overloads on the right as well Mm. which worked I think once or twice um but all of Chelsea's goals here came from turning over the ball and basically just being very devastating when they got it like four shots on target three goals um I thought Lauren James, once she got going, was really good. Obviously, she scored the other two. But Another rise from the dead after the Madrid match. Yeah, um, I thought she had a really good game. But I thought Fran, as well, was like maybe un- an underrated player because she didn't like mm-hmm. get on the score sheet. But she's just so clever. And, you know, I think this was... A, we're saying, like, this was a game that was boring maybe if you weren't a Chelsea fan because PSG offered absolutely nothing... But I am a Chelsea fan, so I enjoyed it. <laughs> I was... You can ask Chelsea how I was. <laughs> Alex looked bored from the first minute. Like, I literally looked over in minute one, and she was like... I mean, Alex, I think, always has, like, resting bored face anyway. <laughs> like, that's kind of your natural face, but it yes. was extra. It was I extra. Think this, I think the second half was very extra when I was um, sitting down. <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying about Leon, but the opposite. I think Chelsea have had, you know, Chelsea got more points than anyone else in this group stage, only conceded one goal, which is way less than every other team. I think this was like the cherry on top, though, because PSG are still a good team, even if they're a boring team. They normally do things quite well. And I think there were some weird selection choices. Like I was surprised Tamarawi didn't start. Yeah, let's talk about that, because that... I mean, the starting eleven to begin with was very questionable. I liked that he was fucking with us by playing Lika Martins up against Neve Charles, and it did freak Neve Charles out a bit. <laughs> it did. Well, at one point, because they switched back and forth. They, sw- they switched, yeah. Yeah, so that was... Um, I think Neve Charles had a good game. She Her confidence level were quite high, getting the ball going forward. Um, I was quite impressed with that. But again, I mean, starting Lika Martins... That's. I don't think it's ever gonna be a questionable choice if that makes sense. Yeah, it can't be. Like, like, like you're starting Nicky Martins. You're not gonna be like, why are you doing that? It was more the midfield that was the surprising bit. Grasquiore, mm. Jean Francois, uh, and Laura Fazer. It's Fazer that's the weird one, right? Like, yeah, just because Hamraoui. But I think what they wanted, I think if it makes sense, if again you're like, well, we are gonna go more attacking. Because yeah. they needed to win by two goals to top the group. But what was weird, so like on paper, it was a more attacking lineup, I think, you know, to play Phaser. Even Martins over Backman, like I think of Backman as more like a reliable player rather yeah. than someone who's really going to like push forward and get goals. Um, even though obviously she is goal scorer. Yeah. But what was weird was it was like they didn't have the tactics to go with the lineup changes. And no. aside from Diani almost lobbing Zajira Musevich, which credit to Zajira Musevich, like I thought she did really well to get her fingertips to that and push it onto the yeah. bar. 
um like they didn't they didn't do anything else there was no sense no. of like just trying to run at charles or ericsson um although i will say i think the neve charles kadisha buchanan relationship is really good as well it is i feel like it's giving neve charles the confidence to go for the tackles because if she doesn't make them buchanan's really yeah. close behind her to clean up and that means like she is making quite a few of the tackles, but when she doesn't make them, it's not like a big the, uh, yeah. worry. I thought for her. I think I do think that Neve Charles with confidence is a good player, and I think she had all the confidence last night. And yeah. considering that you're going up against either Sandy Gottin or Lincoln Martins, it's fair play to her. Uh, but also I do want to touch upon Kadisha Buchanan because I think she's we haven't talked about her because she's just back to normal now. Mm. Like she's not an outstanding. She's never. She's never been an outstanding player. She's always been that solid foundation. That if you notice, you know how good she is. And then when she's not doing well, that's when you notice her. So like we like we haven't spoken about her, but I think that's made the whole difference in that defense. Yeah, I think in you know in combo with Millie Bright, I think my worry when they switched was that Millie Bright would look worse. And like, look, this Champions League group stage hasn't Chelsea haven't played teams that are really going to put them under attacking pressure yeah. you know i'd even have been more worried about playing like a benfica because they're a team that goes for it whereas both yeah. psg and real madrid like sit back quite a lot play quite negative football mm. um but that being said like switching millie around doesn't seem to have affected her which i think is testament to the level she's gone to because yeah. when a couple of years ago she was playing on the left for england she was like a lot worse than she was for chelsea whereas mm. i think now she seems like comfortable almost wherever you put her in that yeah in that back line. Um, I agree. I do want to shout out Gregor Wrighton also. She was quite quiet though. She was quiet, but the dynamic between her, Fran and Sam yeah. is really good. When Chelsea started, and we've seen this a couple of times, Emma Hayes kind of said this after the game, but when Chelsea get it right with that front four, yeah. it's it's some of the best like attacking play I've ever seen Chelsea yeah. play, I think, because it's just so fast. And I think what's going to be interesting is, I think some of these che- games have been boring because Chelsea have made them boring as well, because they've been mm-hmm. like, we will Boring's wait, hard. we will wait, and then when we go, we're going to go. Yeah. And it was like the change in speed at points in this game was terrifying because it was almost like they'd lulled PSG into this like false sense of security. Yeah. And then it was one turnover and it was like, boom, boom, boom like one touch boom, passing boom, boom. yeah it was though wasn't it it was it, what i run my position it was when magda had a throw in mm. and she would throw it in not even to grow sam would be yeah, deep, sam would and she would get the cross. sam sam guru fran play there and they would try to get up from that which was quite impressive yeah. um should we focus on psg just a little bit to end it um and we'll go on to something better because we can't end it on that I think what pisses me off the most about PSG is their manager because they will play a game like this and there would be a lot of questionable decisions being made, like taking Sandy Baltimore off um, and taking Lincoln Martins off at halftime. Um, just like, just it's, it's little things, but he's, he is that guy that you want to punch in the face because his answer is always... I'm confident in my philosophy and this is what I'm going to stick by. And he's not, he's not open to that discussion of what he's never going to admit that something went wrong. If that makes sense. And it's just like, 
I mean, it, it's it's questionable. It's been questionable since the start of the season. He's got an ego, definitely. I think, and I mean, if I was a PSG fan, I would find this annoying. But listen, the, they played like fine in the first half. I think obviously the Sam goal is like a great individual goal, but I think the goal was coming for Chelsea anyway. You know, you saw Lauren James have her shot like just tipped round the post by um, Buhadi. So I'm not really worried that I think Chelsea would have scored. But what was disappointing, I guess, is obviously PSG fuck up for the second one. And then it was like they just gave up. Yeah. I think the fact that he brought Hamraoui and Bachman on in the second half was like a at half time was an attempt to be like okay i tried to switch it around it's not really worked mm. um but then it was like after the second and then the third comes quite soon after like that's not really the problem yeah and then they just kind of gave up and that's why then you get like these players who no offense to them i've never heard of i, I was gonna say that for the study board substitute but i didn't want to say it um, I lo- I heard both my brother and someone in the row behind me made the same joke at the same time when Folkett came on saying that PSG had just gone, fuck it. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny that both like my brother and the person behind said the same thing. I am, I am very happy that that. <laughs> should, I, should I say World Cup joke that I find really funny? You didn't get it. I think everyone else I did get it. it. I just didn't think it was funny. You I think it's it. hilarious. Tell it. It's kind of like a Christmas cracker joke. This could be our Christmas cracker joke. How how do you say thank you in French? Merci. Messi. Messi. Like just, Lionel Messi. Yeah, like, I know. Get I, it? Because I, I they it. won the World Cup. Right, but like... I, I still like it's it. funny it's funny listeners write it and great. tell us if you found alex's joke <laughs> funny i think it's funny because <laughs> i've been saying it for everyone my mom sent me that joke and i've been saying it to it wasn't just me it, like everyone in the pub you're the first kind of confused. everyone in the pub you would <laughs> no, know no, everyone, your sister <laughs> everyone at the table in the pub not the whole pub can you imagine you on a table I've got like, it, until, until i said it to you i had good reception on the okay. joke well, now. the box-to-box listeners can be the judges. I think I'm going to win. <laughs> but yeah, that wraps up the Champions League group stage for this year. Do you want to go for a quick top moment of the year for the Champions League? Top moment of the year for the Champions League. Mm, that's hard. I think I will have to go for the arsenal Leon 5-1, just in terms of that's not a moment it's like a game I guess but yeah that was like one of the most wild things I've ever seen Mm. you know we don't get many upsets do we we don't get many upsets for it to be you know so comprehensive for Leon to totally fall apart I don't think anyone had the sense that despite all their injuries they were going to be that bad and Arsenal to do it is quite yeah exactly exactly because Arsenal aren't necessarily a team who you expect to kind of come out in that like really dominant dominant way um and i'll put sam's goal against psg because i think that's the best goal chelsea have scored i think i i I didn't realize how good a goal until i watched it back because of the angle i was at yeah it was crazy I i was flat like i was basically parallel with the line behind the goal yeah, so I just I I just saw a sh- the ball go in a straight line in the back of the net. I didn't actually see the the depth of how nice it was. Yeah, 
But yeah, I have to say mine is Campano, um, Barcelona against Wolfsburg to go past the semis just because of again it was it was the the dominance of that game oh we're doing the whole year i thought we were just doing yeah. the group stage oh no we're doing uh, the year. well chelsea weren't in there at the start of the year so i didn't matter <laughs> <laughs> i think that was for a game for me i was there yes and that was one of the greatest days of my life but i think it was that dominance again that you explained there it was the i think we said it in the preview that you know wolfsburg could easily and they did the second leg but that game was just the confidence that Barcelona had was just overwhelming and it was just such a good day. I will chuck in, I will chuck in then Barcelona Real Madrid because that was also pretty incredible. Yeah, that was. But yeah, that's not, um, we're not going to even go for the rest of the Champions League for last year. And then the the final, the final was kind of fun. (laughs) Uh, No, I'd I'd rather not. Alexi's goal in the final is actually also one of my favourite goals. That is a great goal. Because I'd been to see Alexia play football a couple of times at that point, I think, and I was still waiting for, like, a really amazing Alexia moment. Mm, that was a really and amazing that was it. moment. Yeah. Inside of the foot, half volley, back yeah. of the net. Obviously, it was worth nothing, but... No, it was a great CGH assist, too. Yeah. That was a great moment. Um, but yeah, let's wrap it up on that depressing note. Um, <laughs> last podcast episode of 2022, obviously 15th of January, Arsenal-Chelsea. Jesse and I will be there together. Um, I've made it my birthday party, Chelsea, yeah. so don't let me down because you'll ruin <clears throat> my birthday party. <laughs> I hope your birthday is going to be ruined. <laughs> that sounds so harsh. So it actually is. <laughs> I'm going to clip that up so everyone will know how mean you are to me. <laughs> I sound like I'm crying now. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be back in the new year. We hope everyone has a good holiday and hope you enjoy your break from our voices after this year. <laughs> and yeah, Champions League quarterfinals are set. I think it's going to be really good. All eight teams now, top quality, no more. I'm not, I'm not going to finish that sentence really high quality opposition now all eight teams so it should be fun and yeah we'll see you guys next year enjoy your holiday break and see you thanks for listening